0: This is Hans Scheil from the Finishing Well podcast. On Finishing Well, we help you make godly choices about Medicare, long-term care, and your money. Your chosen Truth Network podcast is starting in just seconds. Enjoy it, share it, but most of all, thank you for listening and choosing the Truth Podcast Network. This is the Truth Network.
1: Coming to you from an entrenched barricade deep in the heart of Central North Carolina. Masculine Journey After Hours, a time to go deeper and be more transparent on the topic covered on this week's broadcast. So sit back and join us on this adventure.
2: The Masculine Journey After Hours starts here, now. Welcome to the Masculine Journey After Hours, and we are talking this week about the uh, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 and it's a passage where it talks about the six things the Lord hates, and the seven that He finds detestable. Right, and so in the beginning we got through just a couple of them. You know, go figure. We took what like twelve weeks to go over <laughs> the pillars. You know, that we thought was going to be a two or three week uh, kind of session. So for us to go longer than a show on the six things that God hates and the seven He finds detestable, you know, it uh, isn't a big surprise that we're going to go more than one show on it. But we talked primarily in the first uh, part of this episode on the regular broadcast about the haughty eyes and the lying tongue. That's where we spent most of the time. And so to kind of refresh, Robbie, if you don't mind kind of setting up what is haughty eyes? You know, what's a way that we could interpret that? If if we were God was speaking to us saying, hey, don't have haughty eyes, what would he be meaning? Well, it's you you, you take pride. I like the
1: way Harold actually put it, that you take pride past the point of being inside and it begins it begins to where you can see it on the outside it, it certainly is being puffed up but you know what it feels like you know that that, that that's what i say you know what haughty eyes feel like because you've had it done to you <laughs> like that guy thinks he's better than me don't look at me like that, that guy looks he you know what makes him think that he's you know yeah. You know what it feels like.
2: So we're having haughty eyes back at him who's having <laughs> haughty eyes with <at> us. <laughs> yeah. Most of the clips are like that. That we, we, yeah, done. But that's true. That's true. And so, haughty eyes and, of course, uh, lying tongue. I think we've all know what that feels like. And if we're honest with ourselves, we've probably all done that at some point or another. Um, some better than others, but at some point, you know, the bad part is that it sometimes works, you know, and unfortunately, it takes years for it to kind of play itself out. But, I want to ask you guys some questions uh, around, you know, this is the area where we're supposed to go deeper. So when we first start into these six things that God hates, and we're talking about haughty eyes, lying tongue, a uh, heart that devises wicked schemes, hands that shed innocent blood, you know, what are some things that, that kind of come to your mind that God said, okay, this is an area we need to work on. This is, this is something that I need you to address. Right? I'm just kind of throwing it out there. You know, I talked a little bit in the first episode about some things, and especially this week, God's kind of been having me temper my thoughts because the way that I would express some things could potentially lead to some of these. Not intentionally, but it doesn't matter whether it's intentional or not because I'm still practicing some of that if I'm careful and I'm not giving full truth. You know, Darren, you said it quite well in the first episode about you know assigning motive. When you assign motive to something— you're jumping into that that realm. You know, and so I think that's a, an area that people need to be particularly careful of, right?
3: Well, it's it's kind of a Romans 14 thing. You are at least consenting to a lie. Even if it's not a lie, you know, if I say, "Well, I know why Sam said that." And, you know, the logical question of a smart and you know, godly man would be, "Well, Sam told you why he did it?" You know, or Sam told you why he said, well, no, no, I don't, he didn't have to, but I know why he did it. Well, how do you know? Did Sam tell you or did God tell you? Because those are your only real sources of truth with regard to what Sam's motives are at that moment. And so if I take that and to the logical conclusion of, well, I know why they did that, I know why they said that. And the reason I'm so adamant about that is because i used to be really bad about that until a good friend of mine went really do you know why they did that do you know why they said that and i went well yeah and i and he goes well how, how did you know how did you find that out well I, I i mean anybody could see that really anybody could see that i mean you know and he just kept pushing my buttons until he finally said you are an arrogant jerk <laughs> and i went I'm going to have to go look that word up. I'm not sure I know what it means. I think it's bad. Um, and literally, and I mean, I was a baby Christian at the time, but and he was my best friend. And so I appreciated him doing that. But he basically said, look, you are an arrogant jerk who's judging other people's motives, and you have no right to. If they didn't tell you that, you don't know that. If God didn't tell you that, you don't know that. You can guess it. But again, when you go into that n- next realm of guessing or assigning motives, you're either gossiping or you're consenting to a lie, um, even if it's the truth, even if it's the truth. And that's the Romans 14 part of it, you know. So when you consent to a sin, something you think is a sin, when you consent to something that might be a lie, you don't know for sure it's truth or lie, then you've in essence told a lie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's same thing Jesus says when you look on a woman and lust after her, you've committed adultery. When you've said raka or fool, you've committed murder in your heart and you asked me about that in the in the first, you know, in the sh- in the radio show, not in the after hours, about this whole shedding innocent blood. Well, right. there you go. If you've ever called somebody a fool, you're guilty of shedding innocent blood. According to Jesus, now I mean, you can argue with me all you want, but your real argument is with Jesus, because he's the one that says, "If you treat your brother that way, you've done the same thing as murder your brother."
2: So, what about this whole um, a heart that devises wicked schemes? What if it's for a really good reason? <laughs> Does that count?
4: Justify it, right?
2: You know, if it's for a good reason, is it doesn't the ends justify the means?
4: Yeah,
1: well, the classic. Example that we actually have set up here for us is Richard Nixon, which if you were to watch the Robert Frost, Richard Nixon interviews, it's a, a piece of history that it was so revealing in so many different ways. But here is a man who got caught up in, you know, the, the, the ways he was going to make world peace and it was going to be a Richard Nixon, you know, deal like, a, like I shared in my show, you know, last week. Don't do the Heisman like that's my football and I'm taking it across my goal line and I've got the stiff arm off against the Democrats or whoever else is in my way to to make this thing happen. And so Nixon was going to make it happen regardless of that. However, you can see through this interview that he did have some integrity. He did resign. It had all sorts of ramifications. But here's a guy who's gone all the way down the Proverbs 616 road. In other words, he's gotten involved in the lies. He's 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 gotten involved in the scheme, from the from the standpoint of at least tried to cover it up to some extent. You know, you don't know what all's involved in that, but you asked earlier, you know, what if we've been studying this? This how has this changed your view? So, you know, as you listen to this clip, you're going to see a man that has been involved in something that has come crushing down on him. And it happened in my own life. It's happened on this ministry, but it's also happened when I lost my dealership. And at the end of the thing, you'll hear Richard Nixon say very clearly, it's a burden I'm going to have to carry for the rest of my life. You
2: know, and, and what, he, what he's... <laughs> that is so, Frank Caliendo, you get nothing to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> but the point
1: is that as I, as I listened to that, I felt very, very sorry for him, but I thought, wait a minute. If he's in Christ he's not carrying that burden if he would give the ball back to Jesus Jesus used what President Nixon did to a great extent to set up Reagan to do all sorts of things that led to the peace that, that really Richard Nixon was hoping for it did set the stage but it was Jesus's ball the whole time and what he did was very instrumental in it and kudos off to him but instead he still got somewhat of the haughty eyes saying, well, this it's still your pride that says this is a burden I'm going to carry. Well, as I looked at my own situation of losing the dealership, which we were involved where the office manager had misappropriated funds and there were all sorts of things that kind of got covered up and swept under the carpet that I was very much aware of. And I got involved in all that evil schemes and lying because, the, you know, we needed to save these employees jobs. <laughs> we needed to save the business. You know, I was, I was right there and I could so relate to this clip as I listened to it. And I wonder, listener, as you listen to it, if you've ever been involved in something that imploded, that got way more involved than you ever thought it was going to be. It just got on a downward spiral and, and you fell right down this road. And at the end of the road, can you give it back? and say, you know what, Jesus, you're going to use this to carry the ball forward because the kingdom is
0: coming, and I'm innocent. But now we come down to the key point. And let me answer it in my own way about how do I feel about the American people. That forces me to rationalize now and give you a carefully prepared and cropped statement. I didn't expect this question, frankly, though, so I'm not going to give you that, but I can tell you this. How did I? I think I said it all. In one of those moments that, that you're not thinking, sometimes you say the things that are really in your heart. When you're thinking in advance, then you say things that you know, are tailored to the audience. I had a lot of difficult meetings those last days before I resigned, and, and, and the most difficult one, and, and the only one where I, I broke into tears It was the first time I cried since Eisenhower died. I met with all of my key supporters just a half hour before going on television. Then suddenly you haven't got much more to say and half the people around the table were crying. Les Aarons were just shaking, sobbing. I just, just can't stand seeing somebody else cry. And that ended it for me. And I just, well, I must say I sort of cracked up started to cry, pushed my chair back, and then I blurted it out. And I said, I'm sorry. I just hope I haven't let you, let you down. Well, when I said I just hope I haven't let you down, that said it all. I, had. I let down my friends. I let down the country. I let down our system of government, and the dreams of all those young people that ought to get into government, but will think it's all too corrupt and the rest. Yep, I, I, I let the American people down. And I have to carry that burden with me for the rest of my life.
1: So it's simply beautiful that the Holy Spirit came in and gave Sir David Frost that question at just a moment where Nixon was vulnerable. It, the question caught him clearly by accident. You could hear he said, "I didn't see the question coming either." He had thrown his clipboard to the side so Nixon wouldn't know that, or so that Nixon would know that the question wasn't a red question, it wasn't prepared question, so that he would be able to give an authentic answer. And and he did that because the Holy Spirit was giving Richard Nixon an opportunity to express an apology to the American people from the heart which he did. And in that moment, I hope we all have that chance to say worse because I've been caught I'm I'm right there I've been there and I've revisited that place on a few occasions. But at that point can you like Richard go to the valley of humiliation and admit that you went down this road however unlike Richard Nixon can you then give that to Jesus? Let him take the ball from the little ball carrier and carry it on to the finish line and join with him on going to the next step because he does
2: not want us to sit and revel in that in that failure. You know, as you're I d- I didn't watch the whole interview. I've I've heard this snippet, right? And I, and I was alive. I remember when he resigned, and and I was younger, but I remember it. I actually remember where I was when it happened. I was. In a car riding with my folks somewhere, and it came across the radio that he had resigned. Um, when I listen to that, I hear a man that is trying to um, be very genuine and very honest. You know, we, we talk about on this show where, you know, the, one of the best things that can happen is your pose can be broken, and you're dealing with a man whose pose was broken. But as he's starting to get some perspective, I think the enemy wants to keep him in that bondage of you're always going to carry this burden because what I hear is the agreement, right? You know, it it may not be an arrogant standpoint as much as he's believing a lie that says this is all you're ever going to be known for, right? This is going to be the sum total of your political, you know, whatever it is, you know, the... uh,
3: uh, Your legacy. Legacy. I kept
2: thinking tradition, but yeah, legacy. Yeah.
3: And, you know, again, I, I was a young man young boy when that happened, and I still remember it very vividly. And, and I've watched the Nixon-Frost interviews from a historical standpoint. I like boring history. Um, and uh, But, yeah, where Robbie was talking about the dealership, I feel very much the same way with regard to this ministry, that there was a time when you know we had some real struggles as to what direction we were going to go, how we were going to get there, um, quite frankly, um, we had some people come into the ministry that were sowing this discord. I mean, I'm just going to be as brutally honest as I can. And instead of handling that as godly and biblically as I should have, um, I, you know, made some decisions and and chose some directions at that point in time that were unproductive. To say the least, and probably sinful, um, and and hurtful to the ministry, and hurtful to other people who were a part of this community that we have, and we we did have, you know, at least one person who was sowing tremendous discord in in this group, and um, and I believe that God did detest that, and I also believe that God detested the way that I handled that, perhaps the way that others handled that um, in the midst of that. Now, the beauty of that is this, that God can take ashes and turn it into beauty. He can take dry bones and turn that into an army. And so he's done that. He has redeemed that. He has saved that. Um, And this ministry has continued to go and not just the ministry that people hear on a podcast or whatever, but our community Mm -hmm. is um, stronger for it now. Um, And that's all God. And so God can redeem every bit of this. He hates it. He detests it. It doesn't say that he necessarily hates or detests the person. Mm -mm. He hates what it does. I mean, he sees these six things leading to the seventh, which is, Creating dissension among the ranks of a community of people, sowing discord in the community, horribly sinful practice. Why? Well, just watch the news. I mean, that's all you got to do. You don't even have to watch the news, really. If you're on social media, if you're on the internet at all, you know how dissension is being sown in the American community, the world community, the church community. It it doesn't matter what community you you can see it. it. It's it's you know we've talked about before. I might not know what I may not know how to define judging others, but I know when I'm being judged. I know what it feels like to be judged. Right? I don't may not know how to define this, but I know what it feels like, and it feels like today.
2: It feels like every political ad that's on right now. Yeah. I mean, honestly, regardless of which side of the equation you want to be on, just watch any of them. You know, my sons are different generations than me, obviously, right? And so we politically have some different opinions, you know, as an older man and younger man. But one of the things that we both we all agree on is we hate, hate, hate the political ads. Because it doesn't even matter if it's your candidate or not your candidate. You just don't want to hear it because it's division. It's dividing the community. It's not uniting anything. You know, and that's what's so hard about this time. I think it's what's so taxing to people you know, we just can't wait for the second, uh, was it the first Tuesday in November, right? It is for the first one to get here so it can just be done. You know, and then we can start recouping after that. But, you know, it's just so taxing. And that's just one piece of the equation we've been dealing with. You know, start getting on the, the social discord, the, the COVID situation. I mean, all these things, you know, and, and yes, there, there's truth and there's things we need to know, but it, it quickly falls in sometimes to some of these things where we fall into this place where we're judging others or we're making uh, motives, you know, we're assigning motives to actions.
3: I, just being honest, I fight it when I go in the grocery store. You know, I go in the grocery store and I wear a mask, it, not because I'm trying to protect me. I'm trying to be kind to the, to the person who's doing a $8 an hour job at the register who because she's a single mom and she's got to have that job and she's trying to feed two kids at home. I don't want to give her covid. And I got to tell you, I don't care what your thoughts are on a mask. You can be kind, you know. And so and I see people in the grocery store not wearing a mask. And and I and I have to go, Okay, they probably just forgot their mask. You know, they they're like me and they drove off and from home and they forgot their mask today because I've done that, too. And so I've been on both sides of that equation, but I have to fight it, you know, and I'm not going to get in somebody's face and go, oh, you're trying to kill people or, you know, things like that. That's not true. It's not true. But just trying to be kind right now and to be caring towards other people's hearts, other people's bodies, you know, it's a it's a process that I find literally assaulting me almost with any interaction with humanity right now. is just, remember, don't judge, be kind.
2: Oh, I'm that way every time I drive. <laughs> I mean, I, honestly, when I, I, I'm going anywhere, I was, I was uh, Saturday, Robbie, you asked me to come be a part of your radio show, and so I came over here. On my way home, I was, oh my gosh, I was so frustrated by the time I got home because I assigned so many motives to people <laughs> my whole way home and they were all idiots. You know, they didn't know how to do, use a turn signal or they didn't know where they wanted to turn. And, you know, and I was just like, I was so frustrated by the time I got home. And the only person that was worked up at the whole equation was me. Right. You know, and it's because I was doing some of this stuff, you know, especially the haughty eyes, I was judging other people. Right. And all it did was just tear my own heart apart. In the midst of it. Now, uh, Danny and Rodney, I noticed that you guys, you know, when we said we we're going to share things, you kept pushing the microphone back and forth, like neither one of you wanted to talk. Was that what was going on? Or you both wanted to talk. I don't know
5: which it was. Like a match. It was like a tennis match. It was. Yeah, we were deciding who was going to go first, and okay. evidently I lost. Okay. So, um, I was thinking about a time as a ministry leader where – our ministry was going to be part of a an event that another ministry in the church was going to put. And they had a meeting, and one of the members of the, that committee was also on our committee. And he brought some information that were seeds of discord. Something was said, and it sounded very derogatory toward our ministry guys. Well, I championed that and sowed seeds of discord everywhere. Um because I couldn't take it, I thought you know somebody's attacking our guys, and so we created a letter and signed it and presented it to the pastor and which was a very bad idea and and uh number one, he's a big guy, but anyway, it broke his heart, and we ended up having a meeting both kind of both committees and kind of behind closed doors and the discord and and the damage that could have been major luckily was averted by God and it brought us all closer together. But when I look back on that I think, you know, I bought it hook, line, and sinker. And what I should have done was go to the pastor and go to a couple of people and go, Hey, I understood that this conversation was had in that meeting. Is that true? Just a just a kind conversation, just a not a full on bull rush into you guys are haughty and i'm being haughty to knock down your haughtiness kind of thing so mm-hmm. but anyway that's just what that brought to mind is you know, i bought it all the way down to proverb six just in my own mind thinking someone was looking down on my ministry and my guys and and it just it, it imploded so
2: yeah it, it steps into this place where it feels like oh well what i'm doing is justified you know, my reaction's justified. Theirs wasn't necessarily. They provoked, you know, and so mine is now justified. So I'm going to go deal with that.
4: Oh, yeah, I'm always justified, Sam. Come on. <laughs> I just remember when I first saw the email come across, things that God hates. I'm like, hey, why you guys got to get personal here? And, you know, try to make this about me. huh? like, come on, what are you guys doing? We didn't want to. Yeah, yet. I know. Yeah. But I was like, oh, my gosh, they they found out. But, you know, you look at this, and I'm – we have many different examples. Mine example is from home. Where do I do that most is probably with the person I'm with the most, my wife. So I'm always, you know, assigning motive to Sue and, oh, this must be it. and She must be up to this again and the, all the past things and the past stuff and the past things and the past stuff. And it's just constantly, you know, it's always oh, coming again and here it comes. I can, I can sit there and, oh, here she goes. I, she's going to go down this path. And. I'm assigning stuff before she ever does. And boy, when it hits, I'm ready. Right. That's where my heart just just kills me. Right. Because I'm I'm starting to realize I'm like, well, that's the things that are really bringing you down, depressing you, putting you in a place where you don't want to be. So in leading our uh, care group this past week, we're reading a book called Maturity by Sinclair Ferguson. And it's Really good book so far. We're just barely into it. It was just chapter two, and I'm like just leading that down. I'm like, so what I want to challenge everybody when they walk away this week is out of all these things that we talked about that could be basically helping you to backslide in your Christian walk, think of just find one of them because we can all find many. Find one, go this week, and basically I'm... I do scientific thinking stuff with work and stuff. So I'm like, basically make a hypothesis. If I do this, then I ought to be feeling this way or changed this way or something shall be different about this situation in a month. What am I going to do rather than just sit there and say, you know, I'm not going to do anything, but change that to an action. So mine has been, immediately was, okay, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to forgive her for, you know, because in my mind, she's done something wrong whether she's done it or not. So I'm like, I got to, I do have to forgive that. And immediately it wasn't, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that. If I do this and if I forgive her this week, then I will be in this better place by the end of the week and I'll be able to have better conversations. I'll have a better mood and tone towards her. And the next thing you know, God's like, "Uh, forgive yourself. I'm like, oh my gosh, I really need to live in that a lot too, forgiving just myself here. So Forgiveness is my theme for about the next three weeks that I'm just going to be living in.
2: And that's a good place for you to be focused. And for this next week, I want us to focus on this passage and just say, God, I need you to bring up into my heart, when have I done these things? When have I shown haughty eyes? Let me know when I'm doing it. Let me know when I tend to be towards a lying tongue, whether I know it or not. All these six things that you hate, so I don't become one of those things that you find detestable. Right, my actions, not me as a person, but my actions that you find detestable. And go to masculinejourney.org to register for the upcoming boot camp November 12th through 15.
0: This is the Truth Network.